Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 3. Working our way through the book of Daniel in a series called God Strong. I have uh, never been one to uh, think about joining an exercise class. You know, I'm typically changing the channel if the, one of those things is on TV, you know, where they're trying to get you to follow along, doing the stretching and, and all that kind of thing. I mean, I think in my 51 years, I never have been tempted to buy a Tybo DVD. You know? and I don't expect that will happen. Nothing against it. I'm sure that's a really great workout. Is it, Shane? The Tybo workout. Yeah, Shane. Yeah, I'm sure it's a really good, a good workout. Not for me, though. Just like different ways of getting my heart rate up and strengthening my, my body. So in Daniel chapter 3, we come to one of the most well-read stories in the Bible. Uh, so many moms have read this story to their kids um, throughout their lives about this fiery furnace experience of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So in honor of you moms, I'm going to have some help uh, during the message to read the story back to you from some of your kids. Uh, so I'll call them up as we as we get to it as we go through. So Daniel 3, it's not an infomercial for a God-strong workout, but there are some spiritual exercises in here that uh, we will be participating in as we follow Jesus in the world that we're in. So let's pray before we jump in. Father in heaven, uh, boy, we come to you today and we're thankful for this passage of Scripture. It's going to speak right to our lives today and give us much hope and encouragement uh, to continue to follow you in a, with a God-strong life. And so we know, Lord, uh, as, as we dive in, that there's going to be some challenges, there's going to be some encouragement, but we know that uh, your Spirit's the one who brings this word to our hearts and causes it to bear fruit in our lives. And so I just pray that, you know, as we go through, that you would do that in us. We thank you for this treasure that you have given us. Um, let it be a joy to receive it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the first... Part of these of this God strong workout is swimming in the flood, and Lucy is going to come and read for us um, verses one to seven. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was sixty cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the 
prefects and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image of King of that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, dragon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, dragon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Thanks, Lou. Hey, one question. Who taught you how to read? My mom. That's what I thought. Yeah! So we're not sure how much time has gone by between building or the dream of the statue in chapter 2 to uh, the building of this image in chapter 3, but we can sure see the direction of Nebuchadnezzar's heart. At the end of chapter 2, he had this declaration of, about Daniel's God, that he is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. But here we see that that was not a declaration of his submission to the God of gods and the Lord of kings. He's not submitting to his sovereignty and to his power and authority in his life, but he's defying it. Um, Here, King Nebuchadnezzar builds this image as a way to unify his people, to solidify his kingdom. Um, And it it was, I remember the dream, and in uh, in that dream, King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was represented as as gold on the top. And then it was different metals all the way down. And um, So King Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to make an entire image made of gold. It's going to be unified here. And so if you think about uh, two school buses set up on end, one on top of the other, overlaid with gold, that's kind of the, the image that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has built here. So the, the place that he built it is, is really uh, important. The plains of Dura. You know what? was on the plains of Dura back in Genesis 6, the Tower of Babel. Remember what the Tower of Babel was being built for? It was being built as a monument to man about what they could do if they could all work together. And so we know what God did to them. He confused all of their language. So here, Nebuchadnezzar is saying, I am not going to let Daniel's God take my kingdom down. I'm not going to let that dream play out like I dreamt it. I'm not going to let the diversity of my kingdom be a weakness. What I'm going to do is I'm going to create this golden image and I'm going to make everybody, all the nations that I have, this mixture of people, and I'm going to cause them to worship this image. We're going to unify around this. This is how they're going to believe. And if they don't do this, I'll kill them. <laughs> I'll get rid of them. So he's calling together here in, this, uh, in these verses, verses. He calls together all the movers and shakers of the kingdom. So all, all the political powers, all the legal powers, anybody else that had any authority in the kingdom over people, he calls them all together. Uh, sounds like he invited them to a dedication ceremony, but make no mistake. And, you know, here they get their invitation in the mail, you know. Hey, King Nebuchadnezzar's writing us to come to a dedication ceremony. And at the bottom it says, come or you, or you die, you know. <laughs> so, you know, it's not so much of an invitation as it is a, a command. 
So they all show up at the golden image and they stand there around it as the law is laid down in the land that any time you hear the music, you should bow down and worship the image and if you don't, it's the fiery furnace. And then we get to verse 7. When the music is played, everyone bowed down and worshipped. Everyone. 100%. All the political world All the legal world, all the leadership in the kingdom, everyone bowed down and worshipped this image. That's a flash flood. A flash flood. Now, it's kind of hard to imagine a scenario like, like this happening in our country. We don't have a king telling us what to do. We have a president that we tell what to do. Sometimes he does it. Sometimes. We don't have powers that be telling us how to worship, um, thanks to the separation of church and state laws. We live in freedom. We don't live in, in fear. But we are swimming around in the waters of our culture, and we must realize that they are definitely rising against us. Now, I just heard this survey from the Public Religion Research Institute on the beliefs in our country about same-sex marriage. So this is a brand new survey, and it's really hard to believe, but it is a sign that the floodwaters are rising. Almost all the religious groups in the U.S., almost all, affirm and support same-sex marriage. I mean, overwhelmingly, some overwhelming majorities, 97% of Unitarians... 80% of Buddhists, 77% of of Jewish Americans, and 75% of Hindus affirm same-sex marriage. Roughly two-thirds of white mainline Protestants, 67% affirm same-sex marriage. White Catholics, 66%. Orthodox Christians, 66%. Hispanic Catholics, 65%. Muslims, 51%. There's only one group left that is opposing same-sex marriage in our country. White evangelicals. That's a flash flood. The waters are rising. 58% of white evangelicals oppose same-sex marriage. You know, four years ago, that number was 71%. The waters are rising. They're telling us that we're swimming around in a flood. Now, so far, um, the world's been very willing to let us worship like we want to, so long as we keep it to ourselves, so long as we don't try to convert anybody to believe in Jesus, so long as we don't try to take it out into the public square, we're going to be okay. We're going to be safe. We're going to be you know, able to continue to do what we do. But, but we cannot go out and try to tell people to believe in Jesus to, to become a Christian because that's bigotry. That's discrimination. That's infringing on people's rights. It's hatred. In California, they're trying to pass a bill right now that is going to strengthen the ban they already have on therapies that uh, try to help uh, people overcome same-sex attraction. 
So they've already got a ban on that, but they're trying to broaden that ban, strengthen it by banning anything, any material, anything, any counseling, um, any counsel, any conferences that talk about overcoming same-sex attraction. They're trying to ban it. Now, in, uh, in California, you can read all about this, Christian leaders are basically saying, look, that's, it's too broad. And it, it's going to threaten free speech of, of believers, of Christians. And, and it could ban the Bible in California. And then you got the people who support the bill, and they're like, what? Are you kidding me? There's, the Christians aren't even mentioned in this bill. The Bible's not even mentioned in it. But it doesn't have to be. It will, it will limit our free speech, or we break the law. Now, I tell you, you know, full disclosure, I have not read the law. I've only read what people have said about the law, but I, I don't really think we need to. We, we just need to, to be of the mind and know that this is more evidence that the opinions, beliefs, and morality in our country are running away from God. They're running away from the God's strong life as described in the Bible. The big question for us, this is, this is the big question. Will our faith in God win out over our fear of man? Well, our faith in God went out over our fear of man. Now, it's hard to imagine a culture where all the people in charge, I mean, I'm talking to everybody, all of them are doing whatever they want. They're just kind of going by their own wisdom, their own feelings, their own appetites. And very few are trying to live faithful to God and what he's said in his word. It's hard to imagine that kind of culture. But the political pressure... And the peer pressure to worship the idols of man, it was huge that we're reading about here in these first seven verses. It's a flood. Now, the people that were living there, most of them had a pluralistic idea of spirituality, and so they have many gods, so it wasn't too tough for them to bow down to worship just one more god that was made. Um, But the pressure to do so was great. It was great. So what's going to win out in our lives as the pressure... In our country continues to rise uh, for us against what God's called us to do, what we believe he wants us to do, how he wants us to live, and the way man wants us to live. What's going to win out, our faith in God or our fear of man? How do we find out? Well, we, we, we keep swimming. We keep swimming. See, we can't stop and just tread water. If we stop and tread water in the flood, just trying to keep our head up, just trying to survive, just trying to stay safe, the floodwaters will take us where the floodwaters are going. But if we keep swimming, it's hard. You know, treading water in this culture is very easy to do, spiritually. Just keep to yourself. Your faith faith is personal and should be private. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't don't share about him. Um, Stay safe. But you know, living safe is not living a God-strong life. We've got to put our lives out there. If you keep on swimming, I promise you it's going to be hard. Your your legs and your arms, they're going to burn as you get tired of swimming against the current of our culture. But your heart will get stronger with every stroke. Every time you take a swim. Now, I recommend three different strokes for swimming in the floodwaters. You can find them in Micah 6.8. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Be compassionate, be kind, and be humble. 
Be compassionate, be kind, and be humble. Those three strokes will always help you in the flood as the currents keep getting stronger against us to live man's way. The pressure will continue to grow to bow down to someone other than God. It will. Be kind, be compassionate, be humble. Live that way regardless of how you're treated, and you'll be getting a great workout. When was the last time you were on a bicycle? Maybe it was yesterday. Um, back in my 20s, I did a, a, a fair amount of riding. I'd go out for 50-mile rides and, you know, just had fun doing that, believe it or not. But every time I left the house, the first thing I would do was check the direction of the wind. And I had to make a decision. Did I want to take a headwind on the way out or did I want it on the way back? And it's amazing how hard it is to pedal against the wind, even if it's just a gentle breeze that is, that is blowing. You can feel it. It's just hard. Well, listen, there is nothing gentle about the wind that's blowing in verses 8 to 18. And Joe Dickey is going to come and read verses 8 to 18 for us. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of, a, of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, there are are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now that you are ready, wait, wait, now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, Pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. If you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Hey, Joe, who taught you how to read? Who taught you how to read? Yeah. So the Chaldeans, they were this group of people that lived in southern Babylon. And they were well known as wise men and uh, experts in astrology. And so they see the, the rising floodwaters and they try to use that 
direction, that momentum, to take down some particular Jews who had been placed in authority in the province of Babylon. And so they come to King Nebuchadnezzar with this accusation against our three heroes. Now, it's interesting that Daniel is not present in this chapter. And there's some theories about that. You know, one is that he was too important to the king um, to, uh, to be... Uh, you know, accused, and so it wouldn't have been politically good for the Chaldeans to come after him. So that's one. Um, one is that his job was too important. He was at the king's court all the time, and so he's not in this chapter. He doesn't go, didn't go to the image. Um, we don't know what the reason is, but we know there was a reason, and we know the reason is not that Daniel was weakening in his faith. So here come the Chaldeans, and he, they say to King Nebuchadnezzar, King, you made it the law of the land that when people hear the music, they're supposed to bow down and worship uh, the image that you have set up. And any time that happens, these three Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are not going along with the program. And they're ignoring what you said. They're not serving your gods. They're not bowing down to the image. And then comes the wind. A tornado of rage from King Nebuchadnezzar. He is being disrespected. He is being mocked. He is being treated like he isn't the most powerful being in the universe. He summons the three and he asks them directly, Is this true? Are you ignoring what I've commanded? Let's just test it right now. We're going to play some music, bow down and worship the image, or I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace immediately. Which God is going to save you from my hand? Which one? Now the three, they answer him. Say, King, we, we don't need the test. If that's the way it's going to be, we believe our God can save us out of the fire. He can deliver us from your hand. But, but know this, even if he doesn't, we will not bow the knee to you or to any other image. I'm telling you, that is some strong peddling against the wind. That is faith in God winning out over the fear of man. How were they able to do that? Well, we know a few things about these three guys. We know they were Jews. They had some strength for their peddling from their history with God, from their past. And I would imagine that as they were kind of overseeing the day-to-day operations of Babylon, that they would call out to God and they would, you know, receive help. And so I imagine they had that kind of a relationship with God. But we do know for sure that in chapter 2, Daniel went to them and said, Hey, you guys, you need to pray. That God will give us the wisdom we need, the answers to, to the king's dilemma, so we won't die. And then God showed up and helped them. And they went from death's door to positions of leadership in the kingdom. So they had that experience in the rearview mirror. Um, they also got the stories of, of their God from the past. You know, the creation of the world, the, the saving of Noah, calling of Abraham, promoting Joseph. Guiding Moses to take his people out of, um, out of Egypt, away from Pharaoh. Um, helping and leading Joshua to conquer the promised land. So they had all of that in their past. And then they had some personal experience with God helping them along the way. And when you have all that, that gives you strength for your faith. It gives you confidence to peddle. And that helps. Now that strength shows up in their faith. The faith in the present when they're standing right there in front of King Nebuchadnezzar. They, their faith is strengthened by their past. So in the present, they're believing Here they are standing before the king and this furious wind is blowing in their face and they believe God can rescue them from from the fires of the furnace. You know, the king lays down the challenge, but instead of cowering, you know, 
in front of him instead of just bowing to what he wants, instead of just standing there with their heads bowed just waiting to die. They speak their faith into the wind. It's beautiful peddling. Which God can save us? Our God can. <laughs> we know Him. We know what He can do. Our God is able. You know, you only say things like that when you have faith. Strong faith in God. But they didn't stop there. They kept on going, didn't they? We know our God can do this, but if He doesn't, we still are going to be faithful to Him, even if we burn. That's some strong, hard peddling. But it's coming from a hope that they have with, because they have a future with God. You know, uh, God had made some promises to His people. One of them, Jeremiah 29.11, it's spoken often around this time of year for graduates. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, they are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Well, that promise was just a few years old, spoken by Jeremiah, when Israel was being dismantled as a nation. And so these three guys, they would have heard that promise and saw their country disappear, their kingdoms, be taken into captivity. They would have known that. And there would have been great hope in that. Hope that there's good coming, not disaster. A future and a hope with, with God. And so when you've seen what God can do in the past and you're believing Him today in the present, you'll have hope for the future, your future with Him. And that's how you pedal against the wind. Do you have any strength? Do you have any strength in your legs to keep pedaling against the wind that's blowing in our faces today? You know, we've got the same stories as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. We have the same God. Do you have any personal experience with Him helping you throughout your weeks, throughout your days, at work, rescuing you, changing you, healing you, transforming you, providing for you? you have that kind of walk with God? Go back and look at those things that happened. Review them. Remember them. They will provide strength for the present day, for continuing to believe that God is still who He is and He can still does what only He can do. And you know, if the wind gets strong enough, maybe there's going to be a day when we have to trust our physical life. We're already trusting God for our spiritual life, but we have to trust Him for our physical life, put our physical life in His hands. There may come a day, I mean, maybe the wind is going to blow some persecution our way. Maybe the wind will blow us into prison because we won't obey the laws of the land. Maybe it will blow us into the fiery furnace. I don't know. No matter what direction the wind blows against us, our hope in God is what helps us and enables us to keep on pedaling against the wind. The next exercise in the God Strong workout is walking through the fire. And M. Arthur is going to come and read verses 19 to 25. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Twenty, and he ordered, oh, sorry, um, he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats. 
and their un other garments. And then they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Sadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, he answered and said, But I see four other men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Thank you, Emma. Hey. Who taught you? Your mom. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that. So verse 19 describes uh, a fire that actually starts in Nebuchadnezzar. He is filled with fury. He's like, this is an outrage. This is insubordination. How dare you not submit to my will? And it says his facial expression changes against the three. You know, anger is one of those emotions that causes us to do things and say things that we would never otherwise do or say. And it is very much like a fire, you know, that starts inside of us and begins to consume us and then ends up going out from us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are walking through the fire before they ever get to the furnace. So here it comes from Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, you see that this fire consumes him and he gets out of control. Um, and it begins to burn things around him. But anger will burn relational bridges. Anger, anger will burn careers. Anger will burn marriages. It will burn families. It will burn so many things if it gets out of control. And Nebuchadnezzar, he orders that furnace to be set seven times hotter than normal. He's so mad. And then he's like, get the strongest guys. I want these, I want these guys to have the worst treatment. Get the strongest guys, bind, bind them all up, clothes and all. Make sure they're very flammable when they go in there. And so then the strong guys, they come, bind them up, take them to the furnace. And because they're trying to do it in such a hurry, they end up dying. And so that's... King Nebuchadnezzar's, all, all due to King Nebuchadnezzar's rage. James 1.20 says, Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. It doesn't. So when we worship our God, and that becomes a threat to the powers of the world, they're going to get mad. When our being faithful to God means we're going to be unfaithful to man, they're going to be outraged. When we keep swimming and keep pedaling God's way, um, at, and, those, and that has us going against the waves and, and the winds, expect to be walking through the fire. Expect it. I've always kind of thought it, it was interesting how man gets so angry at Christians when our central core message is the love of God specifically displayed, displayed through Jesus Christ. I mean, they get so angry. Now, for sure, Christians don't always get the message right. You know, we don't always represent Jesus the way we should. I mean, that makes me mad. <laughs> but isn't it strange that there's so much anger that it ta gets tossed our way when we tell people, God loves you, Jesus died for you, believe in him. 
It's not so strange when you remember we have an enemy. Satan, who's prowling around like a roaring lion, looking to devour us every single minute of every single day. It's not so strange when we remember that people who have not believed are slaves to their sin. They have no power over their sin. And that, too, can work against the kingdom of God. So here's something we should all come to grips with today. Walking through the fire is not going to be optional for us. It's coming. I don't know how it will come in our country, but the waters are rising, um, the winds are blowing, and they are getting deeper and they are getting stronger. You know, things have changed so fast in just the last 10 years. They've changed so fast. So the fire is coming. But here's the thing. We should not be afraid. We should not be afraid of, of the fire. If we look at what happened to our three heroes here and what, you know, what happened to them when they were thrown into the fire. I mean, there's King Nebuchadnezzar and he sees this, all this happening and he's, he looks into the furnace and he starts doing some math. Hey, can we throw three guys in there? There's four. And one of them doesn't look like a guy at all. He looks like a son of one of the gods. More like an angel. Why aren't they screaming in pain? They're just walking around. Probably, you know, can you imagine? I can't even imagine it. Walking around with Jesus in the fire, not being hurt. You know, that's how it's going to be for Christians. That's how it's going to look. We are not saved out of the fire. We are saved through the fire. Tell that to your prosperity teachers. When that fire shows up in our lives, we've got to cling to a promise that Jesus made to us, that he would never leave us or forsake us. He won't. The world is a dangerous place to be a Christian. And it's becoming more dangerous every year. Open Doors USA says that every single month in the top 50 countries in the world that it's, that it's hard, the most difficult to be a believer, every month 255 Christians are killed, 104 are abducted, 180 Christian women sexually assaulted or forced into marriage, 66 churches are attacked, 160 Christians are detained without trial and imprisoned every month. We don't hear about it, do we? That's a world look at it. You think about those numbers in a world sense. We have a big world. Those are all examples of the fire. Here's an example of what it's like to walk through the fire as a follower of Jesus. A 29-year-old Egyptian Christian shared her experience of living in, in Egypt where it's, a difficult, it's difficult to be a follower of Jesus. She says, The darkness in our country is growing, and I have had my share of persecution. There is a guy that stands in front of my father's shop with his cart. He comes every day to curse Christianity and the cross and tells me he will throw acid in my face. Once he beat my dad up, and the neighbors came to help him. In our culture, if a Muslim fights against a Christian, the Muslims always side with his Muslim brother. It's their religious duty. The police didn't do anything with the report we filed. Later, he threatened to kill my dad if, we opened up his shop, up, op, if he opened up his shop again. For 20 days, it was closed, and we sat at home, praying and crying. Every day, we had people from the church coming to pray with us. At first, I was afraid. But slowly, I started to feel an, an unimaginable peace. It was bigger than I could understand. I hadn't felt it before, and I didn't understand. But I felt peaceful. 
and not afraid anymore. My father taught me how to forgive our persecutor and how to look at him through the eyes of God. We pray for him all the time. Our fight isn't over yet, but we know this. God is with us. I mean, isn't that the same experience as our three heroes? Walking through a fire. We don't have to be afraid of the fire. We don't even have to try to avoid the fire. We just have to trust that when we're in the fire, God is going to be with us. And what that means is that there will be a peace that we can't understand. Why do I feel like this when all of this is going on around me? There's going to be a joy that's that's like, I don't get why I feel this. There's going to be love that prays for an enemy. You'll have all of that walking through the fire. All because Jesus is with you. One more piece of the God's strong workout. And Maisie is going to come and read for us. Verses 26 to 30. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. My mom taught me how to read that. That's my mom. She's great. Pretty cool. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he goes up to the furnace and he looks in there and he tells these three heroes, come on out of there and come here. They didn't show any signs of being in the fire. They didn't smell like it. I mean, you have a campfire at home, you cannot get that off, that smell off of your clothes, you know. So these guys, they come out, they don't even smell like it, right? They don't even, they, their hair's not singed. They, they, they were like having a beach day or something in, in there. Nobody ever walked out of the furnace. Nobody. So these three heroes, we, we don't have any dialogue from, from them, and we also don't have any dialogue from the powers that be. You know, they, they, they're there, they see them walk out of this furnace, and, you know, they're speechless. They don't have, they're at a loss for words. They're, their plans were thwarted by a living God. They've never seen something like this before. Only King Nebuchadnezzar speaks. Blessings on your God who protected you in the fire by sending an angel. You trusted in him, not bowing the knee to me, or to my image. You were faithful to your God, even if it meant death. And then he makes a new decree. And he says, uh, he provides protection for the Jews in the land. If anybody's caught speaking against the, their, their God, they'd be wiped out. And then just for good measure, he promotes 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is exactly what the Chaldeans didn't want to have happen. They were trying to get rid of them. And that reminds me of Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. Why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. You know, God really is God. And God really is good. And he really does love us. And he really is with us. Now, an important part of a workout is the recovery part. You know, what happens after the storm? What happens after you're working out? You know, there's time there for the body to repair itself, for it to get stronger from what you just put it through. So there's drinks to drink, you know, to put electrolytes back in. There's food to eat to maximize that restoration process. All of that is, is good. And then, of course, there's, there's rest. There's rest. So when we've been swimming and pedaling and walking through the flooding and against the wind and through the fire, after all of that happens, in whatever way that it happens, it's important to recover from, from what happened. It's important to rest, reflect, and rejoice. That got me to thinking, what do you suppose those three heroes talked about at dinner that night? <laughs> I mean, can you, can you imagine that? I mean, maybe they just sat around in silence, in, in silent awe, that they'd just been with Jesus and they should have been burned up. Maybe they uh, sang a psalm. You know, like Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Well, they'd been singing that with some gusto, wouldn't they? Maybe they ran and found Daniel and they told him everything that had just happened. And together, they just rejoiced. Because that's the way the body of Christ works. We're better together. Being still increases our awe of God as we reflect on what he just did. Sharing it with other believers increases our faith and helps us get ready for a workout tomorrow. Singing about it increases our joy, especially when we do it all together. And we should do all of that after we've gone through the storm. You know, athletes who are athletes for in college and uh, in uh, professional kind of settings, that you know, that's what they do. They're athletes. Sometimes they struggle to take a day off. You know, they, they feel guilty if they do that. But you know what? God created our bodies. To rest, to need rest. I mean, every day, right, we need sleep. And then if you think back to creation, when he uh, created the world, he set up a cycle for our lives. Remember when he rested on the seventh day? That was Sabbath, and he was taking in all he created and said it was good. That's a cycle for human beings. He wants us to rest and recover. And as we recover, it helps us get stronger for the next storm. Because it's coming. Let's have our worship team come back up. And we're going to sing a little bit before we go. Thank you, readers. Appreciate you helping me today. Let's just close our eyes here for a second. Let's gather around the dinner table with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and listen to Psalm 46 being sung. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, 
Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. He has, he, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow of, and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's stand. You are the only king forever. There is no other. You are the most high God. You are the greatest judge. The most perfect. The most loving. The most merciful. And we praise you today. And thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for Jesus who took it all on his shoulders, who went through the fire alone so that we wouldn't have to. Father, I pray for those today that are walking through a fire right now. I pray that you, your presence would be felt in their lives just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had in the furnace. Let them sense that peace that passes all understanding, the joy that overflows from their heart, and a love that they just cannot contain. We pray for them, Lord. We pray for all of us as we are walking in this world and uh, we, we pray we can keep remembering who you are and what you've done in our lives and that today we would be able to believe in you and walk by faith and not by sight and that our hope would be greater than ever as we look ahead to the days we have because we know you're coming. You're coming to get us. So we praise you today, Lord, for all of these things. We know that your grace is abundant and it can meet all of the needs we have here. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.